from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. That was you. I know. I gotta try that again. I'm just not on it. Well, I'm not gonna edit out, so whatever. Okay. Wow. Oh my god, Michelle. <laughs> it's We're tripping House on tryptophan, man. <laughs> this is the Tiny House podcast. We're usually more synced than this. Not sure what's happening here. <laughs> I don't either. Hey, this is MJ, this is who apparently Perry. has had a little bit too much to drink for breakfast. What's in that coffee cup? Crap a moly. This is Mark. Actually, it's not coffee. It's chai this morning. So maybe that's <laughs> maybe it. That's I'm just it not is. quite awake enough. Although she beat it, she she beat us the second time. <laughs> yes, yes. It's funny. You, um, know, you, you know, we have those days when we're firing all cylinders. We got it. Today yeah. is not one of those not days. Of those well, we days. had that one person asked, how do you guys make sure the claps like align so well? And apparently, as oftentimes we don't, <laughs> it's trial and error. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Long story short, we don't. Luck. We're in the midst of winter. Here we are in January. <laughs> it sucks. Soon to be February. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Evergreen, baby. <laughs> uh, how was your Christmas? It was fantastic. <laughs> you know, I went out. Um, we got to tell our listeners, obviously, this isn't even December yet. I, yes. I went out way early here. I mean, the leaves aren't even off the trees. And I went out and loaded up on snow shovels and ice melt. Real? More than one shovel? You can get your kids on. Because I, yeah, well, I got two smaller ones for their their cars, oh, and then right. two monsters that are you know good for super right. scooping. Right, right. You know, for the back east listeners, they're like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Because yeah. they have the blowers. Right, and, right. But in Oregon, when there's a threat of snow, they close the schools. Yeah, yeah. So weird. Actually, for our listeners, have we ever explained how this all works? So we we record and we don't edit for content, but after the show today, it actually goes into what we call post production. We send it off to a sound guy. He makes sure that we sound as good as possible, which sometimes is easier than others. Which you can make it sound smarter, but anyway. So that's why, I mean, we, we've, we've sort of toyed around with the subject and sort of danced around it. But that's, that's really what the challenge is, is that we, don't, we uh, don't record news necessarily, right? So anything we talk about today may not be relevant in the eight to ten weeks from now. So that's always a challenge. But, which is when the show actually comes out. Right, mm-hmm. right, right, right. After, yeah. after it hits the queue, so. Yeah, so, so we are, sorry, I was putting on clothes because it's cold in the studio all of a sudden. Apparently we turn off the heater in the studio, exactly. not, just in, exactly. not just in her house, not just in our guest house. So Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's an interesting, it's, Mark has, for the listeners, Mark has often told us not to refer to current events because by the time the show comes out, usually that current event is gone. Yeah, which is what evergreen means. You know, we yeah. try to talk about stuff in the general terms, even though we can get specific, but when it's date-related stuff, it's... Uh, we don't want it to age poorly. Yeah. So can I say my uh, perch is going to be done in two weeks? Congratulations. Done, done. Dun, 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 dun. Do you mean two weeks or two weeks and two months? No, sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's right. <laughs> speaking it's done. Of, speaking yeah, of relevant yeah, yeah, yeah. and timely. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Two, yeah. So December 1st, pushing, pushing, pushing. Um, got the flooring and the, the furniture. That's it. Right. Are, Just are the flooring and the furniture. The furniture? Um, actually, one of the pieces I co-designed with a gentleman by the name of Todd Evans, really, really fascinating and talented 
cabinet maker and furniture maker and guy. So we, yeah, we co-designed the bed because the bed takes up the entire bedroom. So it's got some funky functionality to it. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's what I mean by installing the furniture because yeah. the, the bed is the size of the room. So it's, it's quite a, that's quite a process. But yeah, so all the trim went in. When I, I have been traveling quite a bit lately and Mark has actually stepped in and kept the build going while I was gone. And so all the trim is in. Just got to get the flooring done probably tomorrow or the next day. Very and cool. then the bed goes in and then ready to take pictures, get the drone out there, get the pictures yeah. going. Yeah. So I've decided to even a bit artificially push myself. There's no particular reason why it has to be done except for the fact that I want it to be done. Yeah, I want it to be done. Curtains are all done. Painting is all done. Trim is all done. So pretty, it's, it's the best part of the build, of course. That's the time when I get a, Crank up the music and stage it. Yeah, yeah you crank up yeah. the music and stage it and photos and grand opening parties and drink and food. Yeah. Food, exactly. Food. Speaking of food and art, our latest guest, I was doing the research and oh my gosh, this person has had so many accomplishments in the field of art. Everything from uh, food, of course, because she's a chef, but also she did this Strange thing that I want to get in, not get into, like get into and practice it, but understand called Japanese soury tradition, which we're probably going to get into. And so she, she actually has worked professionally in 15 different art media. She even knows that media is a plural term instead of a singular term. Because most people would have said 15 art mediums. I just want to come punch you in the neck right now, Barry. I'm just saying. <laughs> so I'm very excited. I'm very excited to welcome to the show uh, Carmen Schenk. Carmen also happens to live in a tiny house with her boyfriend, and that's why, a husband, sorry, not boyfriend. And that's one of the reasons why we have her on the show. <laughs> welcome to the show, Carmen. Hi. <laughs> that's quite an introduction. <laughs> I'm super excited to have her, although I have to admit this is somewhat of a selfish thing because. Although I got to meet her, I didn't get to talk to her and didn't get to know her. Yeah, oh. yeah. So, so there was so much happening, and it was so great to meet you, but it was way too short. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Sorry, I'm 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 giving the stink eye over to Mark because the sound is really kind of hollow on it's, her side. It's what we tried Sorry. to fix. That's okay. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Just okay. So Carmen, um, yes, you are living in a tiny house with your husband. Your husband, by the way, also is an accomplished artist, a uh, musician. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna dive into all of that. Um, but what I, what I was really fascinated. Excuse me for laughing, but it's kind of funny to me. You you're 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 advocating for this seemingly to me obscure perspective of tiny house living, which is cooking in a tiny house. And you're saying you have in, on your website properties that the, the series you're going to be producing about this topic. How much can be said about cooking in a tiny house? Well, it depends on what you're used to. <laughs> you know, Xavier and I had a restaurant. We had 3,000 square feet. And of course, we had all the gear known to humanity. And we could cook anything we felt inspired to cook. Well, you go from that to 125 square feet of tiny house. And suddenly the menu changes. Mm. <laughs> and so often I've heard people say, oh, I love the idea of going tiny, but I could never do it because... I love to cook and you can't cook. You can't bake in a tiny house, but of course you can cook and bake in a tiny house. So how do we help people through that mindset or that fear that, oh, if I go tiny, then I'll have to give up the great food that I really love to make. 
well, you just make it differently. That's all. What What are the what are the main things that you do that are different in, in the kitchen in a tiny house that you wouldn't do in a non-tiny house? Well, in a tiny house, I no longer cook for restaurant presentation. So instead of uh, making a dish with five different uh, saucepans or, or saute pans or whatever, I actually am doing a lot of things in one pot. Instead, the flavor is still the same, but the process may be different. And it's just taking... I mean, take shrimp and grits, for example. That in the restaurant was an all-day affair. I got there first thing in the morning, started the grits. You know, you add the butter and the cream and the, <laughs> and, the, and the onions and the whole nine yards, and it cooks all day long because that's how you make really great grits, right? But in a tiny house, if you are putting all that moisture into the air all day long, then you may end up with a mold issue mm. like we did, <laughs> which was mm. really unpleasant. And I lost all of my coats and my shoes as a result. And that sucks. So, so we learned not to use a crock pot, not to simmer things all day, um, but to still make grits. And they're still good. It's just that the end product may not look like it came from a restaurant. It may look like it came you know, from a tiny house and it's still good. <laughs> we talked to a lot of people on the tiny house podcast that actually talk about the downsizing process mm-hmm. and um, how difficult that is or, or how sort of introspective that process is and fitting into that small space. It seems to me that um, again, having also gone through it myself, one third of my, I live in 204 square feet. One third of my 204 square feet is a very large kitchen as well. So I, I share the passion with you. It seems yes. to me that uh, the downsizing in the kitchen is even more, um, even more relevant than like whether or not you're going to buy, you know, or whether or not you're going to down, excuse me, downsize your shoes and jackets as opposed to we don't need 12 spatulas. However, right. one thing I downsized too far was wooden spoons, uh-huh. by the way. I, I seem to go through those really, really yeah. fast. So... Yeah. Can you talk about, I mean, so in the tiny house movement, we all have our excuses or reasons why we don't want to go tiny or we're concerned about it. You're specifically Mm -hmm. discussing, again, the culinary aspect. You want to talk a little bit about equipment? Um, If you're in a 3,000 square foot kitchen, you got everything and probably multiples. And and any recipe that you're looking at, you're never limited by the equipment that you do or don't have. So you want to talk a little bit about the equipment and the downsizing and the sort of storage aspect of a tiny house kitchen? Absolutely. So in the restaurant, when it was, when uh, we started to schedule time with the KitchenAid mixture because there were so many of us working Mm -hmm. at the same time, and we actually had to take shifts with that thing. So my husband uh, went looking for a repurposed one on eBay, and I happened to walk by just at that moment when he was uh, scrolling through, and I saw this bright fuchsia KitchenAid. <laughs> and of course, I must have said something kind of crazy. And <laughs> But I'm like, wait, 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 no, that's not practical. Get the cheaper one, get the cheap bottle. And so when the box comes, of course, it's this vivid fuchsia KitchenAid. Okay, so am I going to downsize that after <laughs> all <No>. that? <laughs> this is such a personal moment when he shows up with his incredibly beautiful KitchenAid that makes me so ridiculously happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Am I going to get rid of that? No, in my case, no. So that thing went in storage and it was a decision to wait for another day. You know, putting something in storage when you live tiny is, this just means you have to deal with it later. 
But in this case, there's not room in my tiny house for the KitchenAid. Um, so it stays in storage. And when I need it, I go get it. Mm. <laughs> and that's fine. Now, I'm not quite willing to do that for a uh, food processor. I'm not quite willing to do that for some of the other gear. So, um, so I think one of the things that was kind of surprising to me is how much fun it is to cook with just a good knife and a cutting board. Mm-hmm. Because when you're used to all of the gear, it becomes something of a crutch. And you think it's a time saver, but may actually not be much of a time saver. And so I gave up the big food processor, but I gained all the time it takes to clean that ridiculous thing because it has so many parts and all the space required to store that thing. So to me, it's not a sacrifice to give up my food processor. Mm. Now, I did keep a blender. I didn't keep the Vitamix because it's so big. I know people swear by their Vitamix, but the, in, in our case, it made more sense to keep a smaller blender. And so it's, it comes down to, I think, what you use every week. Because if you use it like twice a year, then there's no need to store it in your home. It's mm. just taking up space. Mm. You know? But if you're using it, like if you make soap once a year, you don't need to keep all the gear to make soap in your home. You can borrow it or you can rent it if you need to or something like that. But we have this mentality that we have to have the year for everything, no matter how often we use it. And it's just, it kind of ends up being a burden. Mm. So, so getting rid of the food processor and a few things like that was a big help to me to, to kind of uh, simplify life, you know? Mm-hmm. Let, let's go back to the grits and shrimp for a little bit. Um, the so when you when you made the you actually made grits in your tiny house and you had this mold problem you were talking about right mm-hmm. okay when you when you did that apparently you did it the old way that you would normally do in three thousand foot square foot kitchen where you'd cook it all day Michelle right. is it mm-hmm. is it typical for that kind of thing to happen for that level of moisture to cause mold to grow on clothes and stuff like that yeah actually I mean moisture is a huge issue in tiny houses and so. Yes, it is very common for people that either stay in their house a lot or have a lot of people in their house or cook a lot in their house or do a lot of laundry. Um, yes, you have to take very, very special steps to prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. And, and every house has, you know, there's windows can open and fans can be turned on, but you don't necessarily know. I have a humidity sensor in mind because I'm freaked out about it, um, but you don't necessarily know that in, until it kind of happens. And then you're like, oh, from now on, this is how we have to adjust our lifestyle. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. That's true. And, and, and so, we had to learn that one the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so how badly was the experience and what'd you guys have to do? Well, for me, it was in my closet. So I went through and got rid of everything that had mold that I could see. And then I washed everything else and then went crazy with the uh, essential oils trying to kill the mold. And that actually really worked. Um, I did lose my, my a couple of coats and a couple of shoes that I didn't really wear very often. The shoes that I wear are not ever actually managed to get in the closet, but the shoes that I don't wear were just hanging out in there. And so obviously I didn't need them anyway. Mm-hmm. Otherwise they would have been out under the dining room table with the rest of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, I have a humidity sensor fan in my closet. And plus I also have three big things of great. damp red 
damp red that actually hang in the closet as well. And then I cycle those out about every month or so. Oh, interesting. Um, hmm. to That's make sure, very yeah. proactive. Good for you. Hmm. I have to. Interesting. I, I learned the hard way that I have to use the exhaust fans. They're loud and I find them distracting when you're trying to have a conversation. But if you're cooking something on the stove, the fan has to be on. Mm-hmm. That's just how it works. Otherwise, you end up with, with unwelcome moisture. Yep. Interesting. So, um, why did you and your husband decide, is it Xavier? Mm-hmm. Why did you and Xavier decide to move into a tiny house? Oh, good question. So, we came out of the restaurant experience kind of uh, burnt out. He's a pipe organ builder, so he travels quite a bit. I was running the restaurant. So, while we had the restaurant, um, it was... You know, I would see him when he was back from his trips, and it, it just wasn't enough. We're sort of newlyweds. We married in 13. We found each other late in life, and I was not willing to give up what I had gained by having him in my life. So um, it was our way of making the world go away for a little while to kind of pull everything in and find each other again and, and just really focus on what mattered to us. After the restaurant experience, it was... It was just time to take a breather from, from everything. And <laughs> we thought it was a means to an end and that it would be temporary. Mm. And here, here we still are. It has given us so much that we don't want to give it up. Now. So uh, I think we're lifers now. <laughs> what did you guys, what did it give you? Well, it gave us uh, financial freedom in a really cool way. So we have the opportunity to be generous in ways that we couldn't when we were living right at at our level of income. And so that has been so rewarding. It has also given us the opportunity to be generous with our time so that if we want to um, help out with a, a homeless shelter event, we can. If we want to um, help a friend who's struggling and overwhelmed, we can. You know, there's, there's things that we can do now because we can give up time if we want to. Mm. We can give ourselves that gift. Uh, we can give other people that gift. And we reconnected with a friend of mine from high school and she invited us over for lunch. Now they're both retired, so they can sit down and have a long lunch, but we're working folk, you know? And so usually, you know, lunch hour comes, lunch hour goes, you say goodbye and you get on with what you need to get done that day. And that particular day, it was like three thirty in the afternoon before I really realized what time it was and that we had this great lunch and here we were chatting away and <laughs> suddenly it's like three thirty, and instead of freaking out because I had so much work to do, living in a tiny house gave us that uh, freedom to use our time that way to actually really reconnect with people that we really love and have this great time without the pressure of, Oh, I've got to perform. I need to get back because this, this, and this has to be done today because the schedule is tight because the, you know, the billable hours, blah, blah, blah. So it was, uh, that was one of the, the cool perks is having a little more time to connect with people. Hmm. The flip side of having so much time, however, is having to find your focus and sort of find your workflow. Um, my life has changed a little bit that way as well. I'm not as, I'm not as, uh, you know, I don't report to an office anymore. So having a lot of freedom and having a lot of time can be both a positive and a negative. How do you structure your life or, or sort of organize your relationship so that, uh, so that the extra time doesn't almost become like a, uh, 
a luxury or something like something that you I for lack of a better term something you abuse like okay. how do you stay like, focused feeling like you're permanently on vacation yeah, <laughs> really. well we're both entrepreneurs he's got a business as pipe organ builder I'm writing a book and um so it actually is pretty fluid he's an extremely spontaneous person so um I have found it doesn't make much sense to put something on the clock on the schedule and, and schedule my life by the calendar or the clock because it just doesn't work that way here. So we have the freedom to get up without an alarm clock, and go to bed when we're tired and um, work our butts off the rest of the time, you know, but it's on our terms. So that's what makes it so, so cool. And if we need a day when we're not taking everything quite so seriously and just want to um, have some fun or take the dog to the dog park for an hour somewhere in the middle of the day, we can do that. But there's still so much that needs to be done that we don't feel like we're on vacation all the time. So it's, uh, in some ways, it, it kind of takes the pressure off a little bit. And as long as our clients don't mind how long it takes us to get the work done, it's not a big deal. Mm. Right. Have you guys always been entrepreneurs? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, Xavier's been a pipe organ builder for 30 years. And that's, uh, oh, wow. that's a pretty intense gig he's got <laughs> well really specialized as well, well i was like, gonna say yeah. how many pipe exactly, organs are there you can't exactly get a corporate gig <laughs> working exactly. yeah. company. Yeah, it's not a nine to five thing and that's that's the beauty of it i think <laughs> so 125 square feet with two adults and a dog that's right that's kind of crazy but we like each other Boy, you must like Aww. each other a lot. But no, that's adorable. That that's really adorable. I just wanted to I just wanted to circle back to that because that's really, really commendable. Um yeah, I don't even like myself in two hundred and four square feet <laughs> for too many hours in a row. Well, there's that. We have those days too. Yes, exactly. Um no, but that's an interesting point because I think that's one of the fears people have. Sure I can do this if it's just me, but can I really live that closely with another person? Yeah. That's a question that I think a lot of people ask. And I think it's a really good question to ask because some people know it's not going to work. But in this particular case, like I said, Xavier and I found each other late in life. We're really happy to be in a marriage where the other person loves us. You know, we're finding that for the first time. And that's really a beautiful thing. And, um, you know, we vacationed in January in this huge Franklin Wright inspired house in Norfolk. And we love that place. And I was cooking in the gigantic kitchen with a huge television and I'm watching the movie on minimalism. <laughs> and he's in the other and he doesn't even hear that the TV is on. He doesn't even know what I'm cooking. And later I mentioned something about the movie to him and he's like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> in a tiny house when you watch a movie, everybody watches the movie. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> there, there is that level of you know, right on top of each other that requires a certain level of intimacy that big space doesn't give you. And in some ways, a big space can actually take it mm -hmm. from you. Right. So Tolerance and vulnerability and patience. Yeah. And okay. those yeah. are... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and having some cheap entertainment with a funny little dog, that doesn't hurt either. <laughs> Speaking of intimacy, how did you two meet? <laughs> well, he, uh, when the housing slump hit, I think in about 2008, 
he opened a deli as well as a pipe organ gig. And I went in there and had lunch and was kind of impressed. They were making their bread fresh every day. The combination of, I think it was ham and apples or something on my sandwich. And I was like, well, that's unusual. It was really good. And a friend of mine had taken me in and, and we happened to meet him while we were there. And he's tall and handsome and has this ready laugh. And of course that's attractive. So, uh, um, you know, a little while, a couple of years later when I turned up single and, and he had been single for some time by that point, um, we, we connected over chess and good food. And that's, <laughs> That's, that's, as they say, it's history. It's history, right. <laughs> yeah. So you guys, you can tell a lot about a guy by the way he plays chess. I was just going to say that. <laughs> really? Yeah, I was just going to say that. Because Mark, <laughs> Mark and I have had an opportunity to play chess um, together. And his approach to playing chess is quite different from mine. He's very, very yeah. good. And um, oh. it was just interesting to see that aspect of Mark when we played chess. I had never yeah. seen that part of him before. It was interesting. The killer. Yeah. I was going to say aggressive. Yeah, it was awesome. Poker yeah. much? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I would make a stupid move and he would say, are you sure you want to do that? Which was my clue. <laughs> Take the thing back. <laughs> and think about it a little more. Look so, at that. Yeah. <laughs> that was very telling. And it's still true. His, his kindness always wins out over his competitive side. So it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. Funny. So where are you from? What part of the country? Um, and and is are you close to, to your family, or have you moved around a lot with your tiny? I am. I grew up in Harrisonburg, Virginia, in the Shenandoah Valley, and we are still here in the valley. We're about forty-five minutes from my parents and my brother and his wife and his family. So yeah, we're um, pretty close to home. Of course, Xavier's family is from Austria, and he's got some family in Germany as well. So uh, we've got family all over the place but uh, i'm pretty close to home so you said of course he's from austria is that because all pipe organ oh. people are from austria <laughs> <laughs> well uh europe treats the whole pipe organ thing very differently than we do here in the states and there's actually an apprenticeship and laws governing what you can call yourself according to the sort of work that you do and it's very historical they've been making pipe organs for 20 for 2,000 years, you know, going way, way, way back. And so there's so much heritage and history in Europe that we uh, miss out on. <laughs> so I think it's often that the case that the really good builders are from Europe. But, you know, we send a little American guy over there to learn the same stuff, and they come back with the same education. That's right, right. Speaking of um, obscure and unusual skills, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tell me what is Japanese saori? Okay, so this is a style of weaving that is, it's like jazz for yarn, basically. You make it up as you go along. Instead of going in with wow. <laughs> Jazz for yarn. Know, is that what you like, said? Yeah, really. Okay. 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 Instead of going in with a detailed plan, okay, I'm going to weave this here, and I'm going to weave that there, and it's going to come out looking like this, I just sit down at the loom and just play and make it up as I go along. I've got a a whole bunch of yarn. Uh, this is actually in my studio. I've got a bunch of yarn in my studio. <laughs> I can just sit down and play. I'll have some music going. And it's just about the flow and the experience and the textures and the colors. And I love it. And it's so addictive. 
Hmm. But it's not like sitting down with a designing a plan and sticking to the plan. Definitely not that. So what comes when you're when you're doing that improvisational style at the loom? What comes out like a six fingered glove or? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll start out. With My name basic. is Anigo Montoya. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly. So I'll basically start out with a plan. Like I know the shape that I want to create. And then I will um, just go crazy on the design within that framework. And then, so the last thing I made ended up being a handbag. Oh, cool. And, you know, scarves and things to wrap around your neck when it's cold in January. <laughs> that your, sort of thing. Your website Any is... house cozy. Yeah. <laughs> Any house cozy, yeah. Hey, how about <laughs> yarn bombing at Tiny House? <laughs> your website is Tiny House Foodie. How do you describe your, is genre the right word? Like, how do you describe your specialty or your, um, either what you enjoy cooking the most or what you think you cook the best? Mm. Well, I'm a pastry chef um, by training and trade. So uh, for me, it's usually the desserts. In the restaurant, I, you know, that was my gig. That and the, the vegetarian food and for people who have, allergies that was those were the things that i did then um but basically just comfort food whatever you want to eat how can we create that in a smaller space and with less equipment and very often that means going old school cooking like my cute little Mennonite grandmother cooked you know <laughs> it's a it's a different approach but it, the food's good <laughs> <laughs> i would imagine it is very good <laughs> So um, what, is, what is the most interesting thing that you've cooked in your tiny house? Mm, the most interesting thing? I think we did some alligator. <laughs> wow. I never cooked it before, so I didn't know what I was in for. But by the time I had cooked the last of it, we realized that it was one of those foods, a little bit like shrimp or um, scallops that you just sear it on the outside and leave the inside soft. Right. Mark is having a hideous face. <laughs> oh, it's not that bad. Actually, I have had it before. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, it's good? Such a, such a crock. <laughs> so how did you, um, so how did you sort of stumble on not only your own tiny house, but how did you choose it? And uh, how did you stumble on the tiny house movement? Again, we just, we just met. Um, right. pretty recently so I, I, I assume that you were introduced to all us crazy people pretty recently so tell us a little bit about again what inspired you to go tiny and, and how'd you end up in, in that specific size yeah really so ages and ages ago uh, at the end of my first marriage as things were falling apart I was so convinced I was going to be a van dweller I bought a van I outfitted it I was going to be, this was going to be a secret. I was going to live in a van. And life was going to be good. And I was just going to bank the Said money no that one I ever. Just, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. A lot of things, Xavier, and that's that. So, <laughs> so this is, I had followed along that whole van dwelling thing for a couple of years. And dreamed about, oh, the places we'll see and the things we'll do. You know, it would, it would be great. And it's living in plain sight, in stealth camp, right in plain sight. And so 
then I read the book by Jay Schaefer, the small house book. And of course, it's, the pictures are amazing and the philosophy is amazing. Quality space, quality design, simplicity. It was pegging all the same things that I care about. And, um, and <laughs> Xavier was new to this whole idea. So I got one of the, uh, the tiny house documentary movies. This has been years ago now. And we watched it together. And all of a sudden, his engineering, mathematical, inventive mind starts clicking into gear. Oh, we'll make it this way, and it will slide out here, and it will have this uh, old technology, and it will be low-tech, and it will be marvelous. And I'm asking, but wait, <laughs> we're both self-employed. How are we going to build this thing? This is going to take a year to build. Well, okay, so that's not happening. So we ended up buying one that was already made. So there were a lot of choices that were made for us. But instead of it taking a year out of our business lives, it was just a matter of, you know, fresh coat of paint, different cloth, a little bit of this and that. And boom, we've got a house. <laughs> we parked the house in the driveway of the cottage. And I'm going back and forth, you know deciding which plates and which this and which that my neighbors must have really thought we were insane <laughs> but it was it was fun because I got to try out things I got to instead of the whole downsize for a year I got to see what would work in the tiny house and then get rid of the rest so it was backwards from the way most people do it what uh, did it was kind of fast and a little sudden but it worked <laughs> what did you end up buying someone else's tiny house or a manufactured yeah. one yeah, it was a it was a manufactured dealy who. I don't. It's not. Uh, it's not the cutest thing. We will definitely build one ourselves. Hopefully, before too long, when we can take a break from work. But uh, it's uh, very effective and small and compact and uh, so affordable. <laughs> Super affordable. Are you planning? Affordable to is good. Yeah, yeah. being able to. to uh, Pull it down the road knowing that there's no mortgage payment. Mm -hmm. and I'm driving my house down Main Street, you know, it's just, it's kind of fun <laughs> <laughs> and kind of weird all at the same time. Mm -hmm. We look at each other like, are we sure? <laughs> are <laughs> <But> you, we're sure. <laughs> are you planning to stay in the Shenandoah Valley or are you planning to travel with it like you were going to do with your van? I think um, for the moment, because our clients are here right now. Uh, we'll be sticking around the area. Um, I would love to take on a schoolie, and he's got a design for a very unique tiny house that he's um, been drawing and, and stewing over for all this time. So uh, who knows? We may just find a little patch of dirt somewhere and, and park a whole row of them and invite everybody to come see us. <laughs> is, it, is his design incorporating a pipe organ? No, but wouldn't that be great? <laughs> it would be fun to drive down the road and have the thing staying on its own. Oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> like the ice cream truck. Yeah, well, it was yeah, funny. Oh, no. Not creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but around here, the ice cream trucks are really creepy. Oh, they are. <laughs> it was funny before we were the sh we before we, you know, turned on the mics and, and Perry had actually said, aren't some of pipe organs larger than 125 square feet? Oh, yes. Yes, Church ones, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're absolutely yeah. huge. And they probably mm -hmm. weigh more than a tiny house. Yeah, oh, oh easily. So. Oh, easily. Yeah. 
So, um, I <laughs> I just drew a blank on my question. Oh, I Michelle, thought you were going to ask. Yes, of course. <laughs> yes, of course, because she didn't finish answering mine. Great. Which um, <laughs> um, that was a test. We 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 test people to see if they're actually paying attention and taking notes. Okay. Last part of my question was, how did you find? The tiny house movement, or they find you. Like, how did you? Oh, yeah, okay. And and yeah. of course, we're gonna add another question. How how did you like the jamboree? What did you think? Oh, loved the jamboree. <laughs> like, the other one. <laughs> like finding your people, right? Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, I mean that was wild. So, uh, my picture was on the screen with all these people who are famous in the movement, and of course, I'm nobody from nowhere. And so, because people had seen my picture with my crazy bright pink hair, people were coming up to me like, you're Carmen, aren't you? And I'm like, holy crap, really? <laughs> 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 it was so much fun. And just meeting people and going through the DIY neighborhood and meeting people and seeing the just fantastic ways that they have personalized their homes. It was so cool. I mean... You can walk in and get a sense of a person by the way they have been so creative in their space. And it was, it, it, I almost felt like I was invading, you know, because these spaces are so personal. And <laughs> there is a vulnerability about inviting all these people to come traipsing through your home. And I was so impressed that people would do that. So, yeah, I loved it. Loved, loved, loved it. Cool. And um, as far as, how did I learn about the movement? I think um, Macy Miller's um, Facebook group, Tiny House People. Yay. I watched and watched and watched and commented a little and watched and watched and watched that whole thing go by. And it was just really amazing. I've read um, D. Williams, the tiny, the big tiny build it myself memoir, which is spectacular. Made me cry. Just, <laughs> yes. Over and over again, right? And then more recently, The Big Adventures of the Tiny House, the children's book by Susan and Courtney, which is amazing. And I'm, I met Susan at NaNoWriMo one year. It's a national novel writing November. So I kind of came across her there and she's got a new one coming out, which is so cool. So, yeah, it's been really amazing to actually meet in person people that I've uh, watched and paid attention to all these years so really cool and you know there's a lot of common ground between the band dwellers and the tiny house folks it's very independent thinking people who are ready to step outside of conformity and live their own lives on their own terms i just it makes me so happy yeah <laughs> it's really really fun um quick shout out to um again big adventures of tiny um, recently we did a, um, a video of a bunch of tiny house people reading the book. So tiny house expedition is going to put together a really cute video now that they're going to release pretty soon. So by the time this show comes out in January, um, that video will be, it will be available to go find. Very cool. Oh, that'd be great. That's so cool. So Carmen, why don't you wrap up the show for us by telling us about what your, um, your series is going to be about. In January, I'm doing a series on how to downsize your kitchen, and it'll, it'll be a video series to help people through the think through the process of what to keep and why. 
and like how to let the rest go. So it's, uh, I think it'll be kind of thoughtful and it, you know, the kitchen's not that big of a room, but it takes, it's so central to our lives at home that uh, I think it'll make a, I think, I think it'll help people get over that hurdle. Very cool. And so, uh, Tiny House listeners, you heard led another Tiny House podcast with another interesting guest. Tune in next week when we will have. I don't we know. Don't know. I oh, know. Linda Menard. Linda Menard. I'm hungry, today. actually. So <laughs> let's go get some grits and shrimp. Let's, let's go do it. <laughs> I can't think. I'm so hungry now. And uh, thank thank you to Rick McNerney, who without him, you would not. You're, you're not going to hear what we're hearing right now on the show <laughs> because of Rick's He makes magic. it sound like gravy. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> on a sliver of shrimp mm. with a little bit of grease. Uh-huh. Making my mouth water. Mm-mm. All right, you guys, uh, thanks for uh, listening and tune in next week because we'll be here again and again and again and again with unsynchronized clapping. <laughs> no, we're going to do better next time, okay. I promise. Mm-hmm. Okay, bye everybody. Bye. Be good people. Bye. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Main. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. Thank you.